turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, ready with me in verse 29 as we begin this morning our message. I hope and pray you have a sermon study guide. It's imperative that you have one this morning if you want to follow along with me. This is more of a teaching oriented uh, word this morning. If you don't have a sermon study guide and you'd like to have one, just raise up your hand and the ushers will get one to you this morning. You can ready yourself in God's Word in Ephesians 4.29. Pray for me. I need a miracle this morning. How do you turn a 45-minute message into 30 minutes? And so, uh, again, we continue with our new Practical Christian Living series, putting the wow, the wow, back into your vow. And as you heard in the announcement this morning, there's some couples that are having no problem with that. Putting the wow back in your vow. This series is for everyone who would like to get married, who's planning to get married, as I said last week, is married and is sorry they are married. Last week, we dealt with five C's that need to be in every rock-solid foundational marriage. We, we dealt last week uh, with uh, the aspect uh, uh, of character and compatibility, being considerate. We'll go there again this morning. Having a surefire commitment to your vows and Christ-centeredness. Five C's for each and every Christian marriage. I could have added another C, but it deserves an entire sermon in and of itself, and that's where I'm going this morning. What have researchers, what have researchers discovered is the best predictor of marital and home success? Researchers have discovered that 85% of all couples seeking uh, marital counseling, that they all had one basic problem. 85% of all couples seeking marital counseling had this one basic problem. Communication. The ability to properly communicate is the best predictor of home happiness. Uh, to prove this point, a woman went to her divorce attorney to file for separation and divorce. The attorney asked the woman, do you have grounds? The woman replied, yes, about two acres. The attorney tried again, uh, do you have a grudge? No. We, we have a carport, she replied. Frustrated, the attorney said, does he beat you up? She said, no, I let him sleep in every morning. The attorney threw up his arms uh, in the air shouting, lady, what's your problem? She said, my husband and I just can't seem to communicate. I wonder why. There's a crisis in communication today. Despite our technological leaps and communication, cell phones, texting, Twitter, email, Facebook, FaceTime, despite uh, Snapchat, uh, despite being able to talk with aquanauts on the floor of the ocean and astronauts walking on the moon, our family members can't talk to one another across the dinner table. Read with me. 
the word of the Lord. In fact, let's stand in reverence to the word of the Lord. For this is a thus saith the Lord this morning. We might laugh, we might share some jokes. I often do with practical Christian living series because marriage, boy, can hurt so bad we got to love the laughter that comes with it as well. But let's stand in reverence and respect to the word of the Lord as we offer a thus saith the Lord. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Listen, problems in marriage are not dangerous. Not being able to accurately communicate those problems and resolve those issues is. As long as two people can keep the lines of communication going heart to heart and freely express their feelings, differences can be resolved. Every day the enemy of your soul and my soul wages an all-out war against the home and marriage. We must learn as faithful Christian warriors how to keep the communication lines open. Uh, We must learn how to defend our families and marriages from attack and tear down satanic strongholds that rise up in our homes and win the victory in the name of Jesus. This morning we share our second word on putting the wild back into your vows. This morning, communication killers or pillars. Pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus, grant us ears to listen to your word this morning and hearts to receive and believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Fill in the blank with me. Lifetime lovers protect their marriages from five, five, five communication killers. The first communication killer is elevator talk. When you're going up many floors on an elevator and you're in there with people that are complete strangers to you, what do you talk about? If you do talk, what do you talk about? The weather. You would be surprised at how many Christian couples, how many married couples, that's all they talk about. The sum and substance of their conversation on a daily basis is shallow, superficial. There is no in-depth, heart-to-heart, intimate, transparent, honest conversation going on whatsoever. In the morning, going to work. In the evening, home. What's for supper? What's on TV? Going to bed. Day in and day out, this couple, back when they were engaged in dating, 
They could talk about everything and anything. They weighed in on every single word that came out of the mouth of their mate. There was no problem with conversational intimacy. But now as the years have gone by, all that she gets out of him is nothing. Nothing. I don't know. Going to bed. Bye. Hi. Strangers passing the night. And it's no wonder their marriage has hit the rocks or at the very least has become emotionally so nullified. It has all the love of spam. Because they're subsisting on elevator talk, shallow, superficial communication, a marital relationship that has the chance of growing to about zero. The second marital communication killer is the gossip syndrome. The gossip syndrome. Rather than strengthening intimacy by sharing their feelings for each other, these couples spend their time talking about other people. Talking about other people. They talk about other people because they're so negative on their marriage that the only way they can feel positive on their marital relationship is to drag down, cut down, demean, and denigrate other marital couples that way they feel good about their own marriage. For instance, a wife asked her husband, did you notice that those church visitors took the Smith's usual pew that they usually sit on. The husband said, no, never saw it. The, 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 the wife said, did, did you see Mrs. Jones' new dress uh, uh, at church? Husband said, no. The wife said, well, did you know Sam Giordano, I mean, did you, did you note uh, that he was wearing shorts at, at, at Lakeside's homecoming? Did you see how good-looking his legs are? Husband said, no. Wife said, well, a lot of good it does for you to go to church. You see, the only way some couples can feel positive about their negative marriage, like I said, is to drag others down in their gossiping. Common marital communication killers are, write it down, intimidation, manipulation, and retaliation. Real communication occurs when you and your spouse can be honest with one another without starting World War III and lobbing verbal nuclear warheads. There is no nakedness like psychological nakedness. And being totally, utterly transparent with your best friend, your spouse. When someone, especially our spouse, points out our deficiencies, points out our character weaknesses, our problem behavior, we tend to Put up the dukes. Let's fight. 
We don't like anybody telling us about our short company, shortcomings. We, we, we began to utilize defensive weapons. Defensive weapons like intimidation. Husband, you might think that your intimidation through your temper, tantrums, your yelling, your door slamming, your stomping means end of discussion. Fini. Roger out. Adios. Buddy, read my lips. The discussion ain't over. And you better let her have her say right now, or you'll pay and pay and pay. And you're going to wish you had given her a chance to talk. And all the ladies would say, you did come here this morning. Wifey, let me talk about you. Wifey routinely, routinely turning on the tears every time something doesn't go your way. Every time turning on the tears and saying, this is the line in the sand, sweetie. You cross over and I'll drown you with my tears. To control your husband uh, uh, with your waterworks is manipulation and not communication. And all the men would say, you're going to have to work on it, hubbies. Bunch of fraidy cats. A wife, wife, a wife noted that uh, her husband was taking up too much of her time, her energy, and just purposed in her heart to neglect him. And over time, he became anemic. He lost weight, pale and sickly, till finally he requested of his, of his wife, would you take me to my doctor? I, 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 I hope it's not something terminal. She took him to the doctor. Every diagnostic measure and test was uh, made upon him. The doctor called the wife into his office and said, I've done all kinds of testing. I have in enacted all kinds of measures upon him. And I'm here to tell you right now, there's nothing wrong with your husband. Except, except, if you'll just cook him three square meals of good old-fashioned home cooking a day, if you'll keep the house clean and orderly, if you'll make the bedroom come alive on a consistent basis and bathe him and shower him with love and affection, you'll see a brand new man in your home. She met her husband out in the waiting room he was so sickly, she had to drive, and as they were leaving the parking lot and getting out in the highway, he finally had the courage to ask, okay, what did the doctor say? Without hesitation, she looked over and said, you're going to die. <laughs> he said, you're going to die. <laughs> Withholding love. And affection is retaliation. And I'm here to tell you that's wrong in the sight of the Lord. That's sin. But probably the worst defense weapon of all is the pouting silent treatment. Where we withdraw. 
and we isolate. We have retaliation through isolation and insulation. Pastor Ryan, is everything all right between you and Julie? There, brother, you're sitting alone there, and she's sitting behind you. we got a Muslim marriage going on here. I, <laughs> I can only do this because this is family. I'm having fun. I'm just having fun right now. Uh, please don't let me pay for that later on. I just, it was just a, I got off notes. What am I preaching about here this morning? <laughs> this is what happens when you give your wife a second set of twins. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> the worst, the worst retaliatory measure of all is manipulation through isolation and insulation. I'm talking about the silent treatment. It takes a tremendous amount of power to be silent over a period of time. And anger, anger, rage can supply that power. Resentment can supply that power. But what do we know? When you suppress your anger, when you suppress your resentment towards another, what do we know? It's like an inflated beach ball being pushed down into a swimming pool 10 feet down. It takes an awful lot of effort when you suppress your and internalize your emotions of anger in in your spirit and in your psychological man or woman, what will that produce? Psychosomatic illnesses like migraines, ulcers, uh, colitis, and a host of other diseases. What does that communicate to us? That retaliation through the silent treatment is a very expensive tool to use on your spouse. Write it down, refusing to realize or care about the differences. The differences between men and women is a communication killer. If you communicate with your uh, wife, husband, like you would communicate to another man, honey, sir, ma'am, whatever, you're going to have a problem marriage. Wifey, if you communicate, if you converse with that man like you would another woman, you are, are not even at first base. You will debilitate your marital growth to absolute zero. A group of computer scientists gathered together to discover uh, and research uh, an answer. Shall we call the computer he or she? The computer scientists split into two different groups, a group of male computer scientists and female computer scientists. The women decided to use the masculine pronoun, he or him, for the computer. Here are there three reasons. To get a computer's attention, you've got to turn it on. Computers, number two, are supposed to solve problems, but half the time, they are the problem. Number three, by the time you commit to a certain model, a better one comes along had you waited. The men, the men gave these three reasons why a computer should be referred to in the female pronoun as a she or her. Reason number one, 
Only the designer, only the creator understands its internal logic. Oh, I like this one. Number two reason from the men, even the smallest mistake is stored in its long-term memory. Number three, number three, once you commit to a certain model, once you commit to a computer, these are the men talking, once you commit to one, you will spend and spend and spend on all the accessories in the here and now and the hereafter. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, how would you like to meet that laugh in the dark? In addition to the physiological differences between men and women, uh, in addition to the differences in their anatomy, we learned last week there are emotional differences between men and women. We cited last week the, the groundbreaking research of Nobel Prize winning Dr. Randolph Sperry. Dr. Randolph Sperry discovered, this is back in the 80s, that uh, boy babies in the gestation period within the womb, there is a chemical due to their chromosomes that is secreted that uh, retards and slows the development of the right side of their brain. We'll get on the right side. The development of the right side, the caring, loving, nurturing, compassionate side of the boy's brain is slowed in comparison to his left side, which is his logic problem solution side. That's right, women, as I said last week, you're already in front of me, you're already ahead of me. Men are born brain damaged. You got it. And we see this with uh, women in their attention to detail. You ask a woman about her uh, wedding and her honeymoon of decades ago, and like my wife, she can tell you the entire agenda. She can tell you the uh, bridal gown that she wore, the colors of her bridesmaids. She can tell you the attire of the groomsmen. She can tell you what I wore. She can tell you what my father, the marrying parson, wore. She can tell you day by day what happened on our honeymoon. She can give you details. All I can tell you is that I had one. A wedding and honeymoon. They love details. They love details. Uh, Becky comes back from uh, driving uh, uh, after a few hours, and uh, this has happened over and over and over again in our home and here at the office, where she'll come into my office, she'll come into where I'm sitting in the family room, and she'll say, you can't believe what just happened. And I'm just, oh my God, oh my God. She's wrecked the car. She's hit somebody. And before she can tell me what's happened, she goes minute by minute, starting her whole day up to the point. And finally, I, I, I'm just shouting, get to the point. Did you wreck the car? Did you kill somebody? <laughs> because women 
enjoy details. Women enjoy the process, men the goal. Women the journey, men the destination. Take shopping, for instance. Now you're meddling, Pastor. Ever watch a woman when she goes shopping? Oh. Oh. It's all about the process. It's all about the journey. And then goes to this clothes rack over here. Oh. And then loads up the, the cart. I mean, just, oh. And the salespeople are just salivating. Oh, well, this is going to be awesome. And then takes it all out of the cart because I'm married to a wonderful wife and hangs it back up because after five and a half hours of doing this, it's, it's not about purchase. It's, it's, it's about the experience. I need something. I run to Home Depot or Lowe's. I know what I want. I know where it's located. I run to that aisle. And if I don't know where it's at, I quick ask the sales, where is it at? Aisle 13. I'm there. I bought it. Uh, I've transacted the purchase. I'm out in the car. I'm driving away. And I've done it all in 15 minutes. And all the men would say, Shopping is not about purchase. It's about the experience. And all the women would say, yes. Because we're different. We're unique to one another. God has uniquely created us to be fitly joined together, not as two clones, uh, not, not as an Adam and a Steve, but an Adam and an Eve. And viva la difference. And everyone would say, Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. That's why we find 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. As you live with your wives, the same thing could be wives to husbands. Understand how God has made you uniquely different. Don't fight against, don't rebel against, don't retaliate against the differences. Embrace the differences and enjoy them. Amen. The hurting words of a toxic tongue will assassinate the life of a loving marriage. Just a couple of weeks ago, I performed a wedding. And as is usual, the bride had it all together. But the bridegroom, I mean, he was twitching. <laughs> he was so tongue-tied and nervous. You know, I, I have had decades of marrying people in wedding ceremonies. I've never lost one bridesmaid or one uh, uh, a bride in passing out or fainting. But I can tell you time and time and time, especially the big, strong football types, I'll tell you, they'll be standing and they'll keel right over. I've had them pass out. Pastor Hal has had the men pass out. Sure. And uh, there was this uh, bridegroom I heard about that was uh, so nervous and so stressed out that he was tongue-tied. And, and he, he said to the marrying parson, he, he, he said to the pastor, he, he said, is it, uh, in his tongue-tied, uh, stuttering words, he said, is it kiss to marry to cuss the bride? <laughs> pastor looked at him and with a smile and said, no, that only comes after the honeymoon. 
Let's talk about our words for a moment. Let's talk about hurting words. Toxic tongues which fill homes with hurting words and verbal abuse are lit by the very fires of hell. This is not my word. It's the word of the Lord. James 3, 6, and the tongue. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and is set on fire by hell. We're talking about wrong words. Well, I just wanted to give him a piece of my mind. No, you gave him a piece of hell. Well, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm us, Pastor. That is not true. I'm just telling you, that adage is not true. Tongues lit by hell have choked the life out of more marriages than we can count. It reminds me of one old country western uh, song. How many of you like chicken kicking music? Come on, Lee, be... Yeah, I know you do, brother. Amen. You, you enjoy chicken-kicking music. Uh, it reminds me of one old country-western song uh, that sang and twanged. Uh, the only four letters word you don't know is L-O-V-E. I want to warn you that your words cannot be taken back. A parishioner went to his priest and said, I have gossiped about my neighbors. Father, I have sinned. Will you absolve me? The Catholic priest said, for absolution, I want you to go to the door of every home that you've gossiped about, and I want you to take this bird feather, these bird feathers, and I want you to put it down at the home of every place, every residence that you have gossiped about. The man came back and said, I performed absolution. Will you cleanse me, Father? The priest said, yes, I will forgive you of your gossiping. But now go back and collect those feathers. The man said, I cannot. It's impossible. The wind has blown them away. The Catholic priest said, you can be forgiven of your gossiping, but your words can never be taken back. Please be reminded of that. You might say, I'm sorry, forgive me, but the damage has been done. And the greatest warning I give you regarding your words comes from Christ himself. Matthew 12 Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. The only answer for a toxic tongue, a tongue lit by the fires of hell, are... Tongues that are lit by the fires of heaven, by God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Miracle marriages are built upon seven communication pillars. Seven communication pillars. The first communication pillar of a miracle marriage is listening. Listening. Proverbs 18, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Proverbs 21, 11, the wise man learns by listening. Is hearing active or passive? Is hearing active or passive? Hearing is passive. Hearing is passive. Don't don't forget that. You don't have to do anything to hear unless you need to turn up a hearing aid. 
Hearing is passive. You'll note that while I've been preaching. Some of you have been dozing off, and when my voice gets loud, you twitch. <laughs> Hearing is passive. Listening, on the other hand, is active. It takes hard work. It takes hard work to really listen to the content of what someone is saying and to listen to their feelings as well. It's hard work. It takes a real man. It takes a real woman to be a listener. After four hours of counseling on top of all the else that I would do in a day's work as your pastor, I come home completely drained because listening, really listening, is active. It is hard work. Real communication in a marriage listens to details. Again, women love details. Men hate details. It's estimated in a 24-hour day that a woman has how many words that she speaks in a 24-hour day? 25,000. How many words does a man speak on average in a day? 10,000. For the average working couple, they use up 9,000 words at work. So that means when they come home tonight together... He's only got 1,000 words left. She's just warming up. A successful marriage will close that gap in communication, in details. The second communication pillar of a miracle marriage is transparency. Most dating singles, most singles that date remind me of the Lone Ranger. What was the number one question that was constantly asked in every one of the Lone Ranger TV series? Who is that masked man? Now, the young people today, they don't call it dating. They call it hanging out. Or dating, or courting, whatever you want to call it. I want to remind you that singles, when they're hanging out, dating, courting, they're on their best behavior. They're lone rangers, and they leave the real person at home. And often that real person is not found <laughs> until after the honeymoon. That's why I cannot counsel you enough, young adults, young adults, uh, singles in the church, if you plan on getting married, our office, Pastor Randy, Pastor Hal, myself, Pastor Ryan needs to get inaugurated and baptized in this. I mean, we are available for premarital counseling. A third party will discuss things and confront you with things that you are uncomfortable with, but it's good for you to hear, good for you to discuss, because you ain't touching the subject because you're both wearing masks. And you only deal with those items that are comfortable for you. The real person's been left at home. Premarital counseling, its goal is to bring out that real person. And I don't care if you're 24 or 42. Please get involved into premarital counseling. We do great at preventative health care here at Lakeside. Emergency room treatment, we need a divine miracle. Transparency is what I'm talking about. 
Transparency and marital communication is the ability to say and hear, this is the real me. I'm revealing what I love, what I dislike, what I fear, what I long for. There's no mask here. There's no defensive cover. It's emotional, psychological nakedness, openness. I'm letting you into my private world. I'm sharing what I feel deep down inside me about myself, about our marriage, our family, our future. And I'm sharing about you. If you demand that your spouse agree with you on everything, then you'll never reach this level of intimacy. You'll simply be an emotional tyrant. Jesus was willing to be transparent. Jesus was able to open himself up and say, who do you say that I am? Please turn to that slide. Who do you say that I am? If you want to have a miracle marriage, be willing to be like Jesus and be transparent. Thirdly, couples who enjoy miracle marriages are those who communicate with empathy. Real empathy goes beyond listening. I can listen to you, and because I'm a trained counselor, I can pretty much give you blow by blow your content, what you said to me. But I could sit back and not care a hoot about you. Even though I can be a human tape recorder and reiterate and repeat your content. Empathy is more than listening. Empathy is listening with a caring heart. Do you see that? It's with a caring heart. It's compassionate understanding. It's seeking to understand uh, your loved one's feelings, be it your wife or be it your child. It's crawling inside the skin of that loved one and seeing the world, feeling the world through them and through their eyes. Proverbs 8.5, be of an understanding heart. Answering feelings with fact. Repeat that. Answering feelings with fact is a surefire way to kill the communication in your marriage. My wife has no idea why I'm calling her up here. She has no clue at all. Come right up on the platform, honey. Real good. We're at home. We have not planned this or rehearsed this, though we've done this at many marriage retreats or premarital counseling sessions. She'll know right away when I set the stage. I'm at home. I'm in the recliner. I'm reading my newspaper. And you have just gone grocery shopping. Oh my goodness. <laughs> honey, honey, you will not believe the day I just had. Honey, I, I, it was just a, a crazy, crazy day at the grocery store. And, and, and of course, uh, I was jammed with people and, and I had to park way in the back. 
and, and by the time I got to the front of the store, you know, I, I, I'm so exhausted, and I, I, I got all the groceries, but of course they were out of everything, and then uh, I, I went to pay for my groceries, and then I'm about to leave the store, and all of a sudden I noticed they've overcharged me. Instead of $6 for my bag of oranges, they charged me $60 for that bag of oranges. And so, of course, I had to turn right around, had to go to customer service and wait in this huge line and get my money back. And then I uh, went all the way to the end of that parking lot again with all these groceries. And then the milk fell out of the cart and it's rolling down the, 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 uh, the parking lot. And, and, and then the watermelon is rolling down the parking lot and, and, and oh my gosh oh, oh and that was my day at the grocery store why don't you just change grocery stores and go to a different one <laughs> now what what does she need how should I respond? Honey, I am so sorry. You had a bad day. Yeah, honey bear will make it all right. Look out. Again, husbands, we tend to be more left brain problem solution. Most of the women that come in counseling with me do not want their problems solved. They just want somebody to listen to them. And I refuse to be a surrogate husband. They just want somebody to feel with them. Husbands, protect your home, protect your marriage. Let no man become your substitute. You be the prime ear gate and listener with your wife. And you wrap your arms around about her. You feel with her. Be more than a listener. Be an empathetic heart with your wife. Amen. Be of an understanding heart. The fourth marital communication pillar is encouragement. I love this one. Be your spouse's greatest cheerleader. Do you compliment your spouse on a consistent basis? Most of the adulterous affairs that I've dealt with throughout my ministry, the other woman can't compare to the wife that he is married to. The wife is far better looking. I've watched that over and over and over again. But what's happened? The other woman has gotten to him through his ear gate. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're so good looking. Oh, you're so successful. Oh, I, I just respect you and admire you so She's become a substitute cheerleader. Don't let any woman be a substitute cheerleader and become his greatest fan or vice versa. What's pastor's favorite chore at the house? For those that have been camping out with me for years, what's my favorite chore? I'll be doing it tonight. Taking out the garbage. There are some visitors here, some guests here this morning, they're looking at me as though I lost my mind. But let me tell you why. Every time I take out the garbage, you know what I hear my wife say? 
Oh, oh, how I love it the way your muscles ripple, honey, when you take out the garbage. I just can't wait for tonight. Yes. Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Miracle marriages, number five, frequently use words of reconciliation. Reconciliation. There's no perfect marriages. I said it last week. My wife and I don't fight. We just enjoy intense fellowship. Then it's so much fun when we make up. I feel bad for couples that don't have intense fellowship. They never enjoy making up. Yeah. There are no perfect marriages. There are marriages in process. In the process of becoming more bitter or better. Which one is yours? Which one is yours? Miracle marriages humble themselves on a consistent basis when they're wrong and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop acting like a child. Grow up. Admit it when you're wrong. And in the name of Jesus, bow that proudful spirit. Humble it and say, I'm sorry. Miracle marriages also say, I forgive you. I want to remind you that forgiveness is an act of your will and not your feelings. Honey, you have been holding on to that for too long. And today is the day of your miracle. Today is the day to let it go. Today is the day to look him in the eye and say, I forgive you. Yes, I know that women process. And men, it's an event. Yes, I know that women can hold on to it and say, I'm not going to forgive and I'm not going to forget. And I know men can go out behind the factory, duke it out, and it's over. I'm aware of that. But we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And God's word says, get over it now. Don't go to bed angry, lest you give the devil a mighty opening and a foothold into your marriage, into your home. Forgiveness is a response of your faith, not your feelings. Forgiveness is not just for the other. It cleanses you. Forgiveness changes you. Forgiveness, hallelujah, saves you. Forgiveness frees you. God cannot hear your prayers until you release instead of resent and forgive. The sixth communication pillar for a miracle marriage is consistently saying, I love you in both word and action. It's not I love you if you stay young looking. I love you if you get cosmetic surgery. I love you if you continue to bring home a fat paycheck and buy me the toys that I want. I love you if you perform in the bedroom. The most courageous people are the people that are getting older and yet remain faithful to their marital vows because our bodies change. But real love is when you're able to look at her and she's able to look at you and you're able to say, hey, you're my best friend. 
and my love is growing stronger day by day. I want to grow old with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're stuck with me. My love has no fine print at the bottom of the page. My love has no escape clauses. It's not conditional love. I love you in sickness or in health, in richer for poor, for better or for worse. I love you. I love you. I love you. Number seven, finally, miracle marriages thrive on the communication pillar called conversational intimacy. Let me just say, in the sake of time, conversational intimacy puts it all together. Conversational intimacy utilizes the dynamic of listening, empathy, complimenting, encouragement, forgiveness, reconciliation. It puts it all together. Conversational intimacy is oneness, not just physically, intellectually, or relationally. Conversational intimacy is oneness on our soulish level. It is the deep, it's a deep form of intimacy. You show me a couple that is enjoying and experiencing conversational intimacy where there's real listening, there's empathy, there's forgiveness and reconciliation, there's encouragement, there's transparency. And I'll show you a couple that is enjoying and achieving a oneness that goes beyond physical relations. It is a sweet oneness that will get you through the trials of life and allow you to be best friends forever. Spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy can only be experienced and enjoyed by Christian marriages. Think of it. The world, unbelievers, can enjoy sexual intimacy, intellectual, emotional, psychological, relational intimacy. But unbelievers can never achieve total intimacy, total oneness. Total oneness is only experienced when a man and a woman, a husband and wife, come to church together and they clasp hands together and they raise those hands up uh, in worship and prayer to an almighty God. Uh, and they've not only achieved physical and emotional oneness, but they're soulmates. Uh, they're one in the Lord, one in His Spirit, one in His love. The very angels of heaven lean over the balconies of paradise and they gaze in wonder at couples that are together spiritually spiritually intimate oh hallelujah they stand as a wall they stand as a defense against the attacks of the enemy for the blood will never lose its power their prayers bombard the heaven's gates hallelujah and God makes a way for them where there seems to be no way 
spiritual intimacy. Do you pray together as a couple? Do you worship together? Are you one in the Lord together? If you're not experiencing this oneness, you've missed it. But you don't have to be married to enjoy spiritual intimacy with the lover of your soul. Psalms 91 verse 15, when he calls on me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble and rescue him and honor him. Isaiah 58, when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. I'm talking about prayer. It doesn't matter if you're married or single here this morning. All of us can pray. Consider what prayer has accomplished Prayer split the Red Sea. Prayer has called forth fire from the skies. Prayer has stopped the mouths of lions. Prayer has brought the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Prayer has vanquished the hosts of invading armies. Prayer has healed the sick. Prayer has caused the lame to walk and the blind to see. Prayer has conquered demons and raised the dead. Prayer has healed homes and revived churches and changed the destiny of nations. And it'll do it with these United States of America. Prayer releases angels to minister to the people of God. Prayer attacks the powers of hell. Prayer brings a binding upon the enemy. Prayer unleashes the power of the blood to cause the vilest sinner to be clean. Prayer brings power. Prayer is power. Prayer is the most powerful act a Christian can perform. But prayer, mark me well, prayer is more than asking for things. Prayer is more than your Christmas list with God. Prayer is to be utilized for more than a resource in a time of trouble and emergency. Prayer is our very breath. It's the Christian's communion. It's the Christian's conversational intimacy with the lover of our soul, the one that has loved us the best, the one who has loved us the most. Write it down. Prayer is intimacy with the lover of our soul. Would you stand with me this morning? Who was Gunnell Guzman? This day is very important to Ganelle Guzman for she was the last survivor to be found on 9-11. Ganelle Guzman was found 26 hours after 9-11 took place. She fell from the 13th floor she fell 13 stories. The only thing that spared her life was the fact that she fell on a body. The dead body of a fireman. As she laid on his dead body, she called out to God. She called out to the lover of her soul, the one who has said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. She would have never been found 
the color of the clothes that she was wearing so camouflaged and so mixed in with the rubble. The only way the searchers said that they found her was because of the reflective clothing of the firemen that she fell upon. You and I are born again, blood-washed, Bible-believing, demon-fighting soldiers of the cross on our way to heaven because of one who paid the price for our sins, who sacrificed his life, who died that we might live. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is our greatest privilege and our highest responsibility because of whose name we pray in. We pray in the name of to the sinner, Jesus' name means forgiveness. To the sick, it means healing. To the lonely, his name means comfort. To the oppressed, the name Jesus means power. And to we, his children, his name means love. Jesus. Say that name with me. Jesus. 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 Jesus is here right now. Jesus is walking up and down these aisles. Jesus is breathing his spirit upon you. Jesus is in the business of resurrecting dead marriages. Jesus is in the business of healing broken homes. Jesus is in the business of reviving lukewarm churches. Jesus is here this morning. Hallelujah to Jesus. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Is your belief equal to your practice? I want you to find right now, as we prepare to close, I would like you to find your spouse or your child or your loved one or your friend or your brother or your sister and I'd like you to just get in a circle of prayer with him or her or with them would you do that right now and when you get with them would you start to pray for God's favor upon their life would you start to pray for blessing would you start to pray for unity, for love? Would you start to pray for healing and blessing? Find somebody. Don't let somebody stand alone. Would you pray with them? You can just let them know, Hello, my name is such and such. Can I pray with you?